Welcome to the PetCash Pod. I'm your host, Andrew PetCash. This is the 13th episode of my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is a quick riser in the sports media world, Adam Brenneman. He's quite the busy man, currently serving as a college football analyst, social media personality, VP of NIL at Mercury, and several other entrepreneurial ventures. We cover an array of interesting topics, including his story from five-star recruit to college All-American to a devastating injury right before the NFL draft, the challenges of building a sports media brand, an inside look at some of his ventures, and an array of other interesting topics around sports business, NIL, and entrepreneurship. I took a lot away from this conversation and think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive in. AB, appreciate you coming on, brother. Really looking forward to this one. Just want to start on something. You got a lot going on, which you can tell us a little bit about, but where does your entrepreneur drive come from and you know what's fueling that on a daily basis? Yeah, good question. I, we're getting right into it. I love it. Uh, my my, so we my do, entrepreneurial, so we yeah, we don't we ain't messed around. My drive, mm-hmm. I'd say, um, a few different things. I mean, I've always been like a motivated kind of like type A personality, similar to you, like wanting to do big things and having these big goals. To be honest, and I've done a lot of self reflection on this, like in the last couple of years as I've gotten older. I think. You know, you know my background pretty well, and you know I I was had a lot of success playing football in college. Was a big time recruit in high school. Uh, was a three time All American in college. Went to the Senior Bowl, the NFL Combine, um, and then got hurt and failed physicals and saw a bunch of doctors and couldn't play in the NFL. And I think a lot of what drives me now in my business life in media is somewhat of the fact that I didn't play in the National Football League and mm-hmm. and. You know, it, it used to be kind of like something I didn't really talk about. And I think I've learned now that like a lot of my fuel to be successful in business and in media and want to build this huge career is uh, because I have a lot of buddies that are in the NFL making tons of money. And like I want to be just as successful in my own path doing something else. And I, I, you know, it took me a while to like kind of come to that realization of like, oh, I think the reason that I do work so hard and I do have this drive and I do take on so many different things and, uh, and, and am as committed as I am is because of that. And I've kind of, I used to shy away from talking about that. And now it's like something I'm, you play with the cards you're dealt, you know, it's all about, it's not the cards you're dealt, it's how you play the hand. And I, I think I got, I got dealt a certain hand and like, I'm just trying to play to the best of my ability now. Yeah. And you talk about even the setback. Sometimes that's like the greatest fuel going forward. But pulling back a step here, even, I mean, right now, I think, I, I don't know, you have somewhere probably around 200,000 followers on social media. You were a huge, you know, college recruit at the time. If NIL was around when you were playing, like how much you think you'd be making uh, right now? You know, I I was a tight end, so like my market wouldn't have been as high as like a quarterback. I do think though, you think back to like when I went to Penn State. Penn State was in the middle of you know uh, the Penn State scandal that happened in, in the early 2010s, and uh, I do think that our our the NIL market for for me and our recruiting class, especially being a hometown kid that went to Penn State, I think it would have been pretty good. I think I think I would have brought down a few hundred a few hundred grand uh, throughout throughout my time there, which is you know I. I in, it's that's one of the reasons that like I really am an advocate for NIL. I, I've talked a lot about the negative parts of it and the downside, but I've always been an advocate. I remember writing papers when I was in college of like, here's why we need NIL. Like I remember like doing all those papers and stuff. That really, it's because of that. Like thinking about, you know, I didn't get the ma- I, I I played all this time in college football, had all this success, never made a dollar playing football. Like literally left my football career and didn't have a dollar from playing football. And uh, you know, to have all this 
have all, have NIL now in play is a huge advantage for these kids and these players, even if they don't go to the NFL, to be able to go into the real world and working a real job when you have 30 grand in the bank from NIL, that's a huge advantage. Whether it's 10 grand, whether it's 200 grand, whether it's a million bucks, none of it's going to change your, none of it's going to, you know, be, let you not work ever again, but just the advantage in the in the security blanket you have when you're 24 and you're going to get your first job, you can take more risk. You can you can shoot for the stars a little bit more when you have 50 grand cash just sitting in your account, which so few college kids have when they leave school. So I think it's a it's a huge advantage and something I'm I'm glad that a lot of players are able to take advantage of, no matter how big or how small. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I even think about it. I I mean, I played at Boston U. I probably wasn't getting any NIL money, even if I had my current social media following and playing there. Now, I am trying to push them. I'm like, yo, you get a little collective together, put $100,000, go and bring one or two kids in. You can literally change the college landscape because you can be a Patriot League team that now is operating with maybe some high major players. But anyway, the point being is in college, I actually built College Athlete Insight, a company to then have cash to now have the ability to start a side hustle, which has now become the main thing similar to you. So that NIL is is huge. Um, but speaking of it, I, I was like a, a measly two star recruit. Like I didn't have any. What What's the experience of like being a five star recruit and all that comes with that? It was wild. And and the reality is recruiting back then, you know, I, I was in the 2013 high school class. So the, the recruiting back then was even so much different than it is now. I mean, now it's, there's tons of, there's, everyone's got social media. Everyone, everyone's an influencer and a recruit because they got all these followers. Uh, NIL is in play. You know, when I was getting recruited, man, they only had, it was really only Twitter. It was Twitter and like maybe a little bit of Instagram. Uh, but so recruiting was nuts. I mean, it, it was, it was, you know, I remember when I got my first offer, it was Boston College. And then a few days later, I'm in my math class in high school, uh, sitting in my math class. And over the loudspeaker, the, the secretary announces, like, Adam Brenneman, please come to the front office. I thought I was in trouble. I don't really know what was going on. And uh, I walked down to the front office. And in the office is, is Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, just standing there with my high school coach. And uh and that was like the moment I got offered by Notre Dame. And then after that, it was just like, you know, one after the other once Notre Dame offered. And it's cool. Like when you're 16, 17 years old, to have Urban Meyer, Brian Kelly, you know, Bill O'Brien, all these great coaches, Luke Fickle, like all these guys coming into your school, telling you how great you are, telling you how bad they want you. It's a... It, it's a huge blessing and a huge positive and you have all these opportunities, but it's also tough. I mean, I think... When, when you have so many people tell you how good you are at a young age, when you're not 100% like mentally developed and, you don't, and you don't, you're not emotionally mature, it's a tough thing to handle. And I, a lot of kids I see now go through this recruiting process where everyone tells you how good you are because schools desperately need them to come to their school. I mean, college football is all about talent acquisition. Like It's all about who gets the best players. That, that, that's who wins games. And so recruiting is so important. So they tell you how good you are, tell you what you want to hear, and then you get to school. And all that changes. No one cares anymore how many stars you had. No one cares. Like, coaches stop calling your mom as soon as you get to school. When you're getting recruited, I mean, they, they call your mom every day. They're like, how, how's he doing? You know, checking in. Their mom's like, why coach stop calling me? Uh, well, once you're there, it's like, it just changes. And then you go through some adversity, and you may not be as good as you thought you were. And you go through these ups and downs. And the challenge is when you're a recruit, everyone tells you how good you are. 
and you listen to it and you get really, really high. And then when you get to campus, you're going to face some adversity at some point. And a lot of times because they listen to it when it's really good, you start to listen to it when it, when it gets bad and you get go through these emotional ups and downs. And I see kids all the time go through it. I, I always call it the freshman wall. Like everyone, every freshman, when they get to school at some point, they're going to go through something that makes them like question themselves. They're like, man, am I good enough to be here? Or like, did I make the right choice? Everyone hits the freshman wall and the great ones were able to get over it without too big of a hurdle. But some guys, you know, don't don't ever kind of bounce back from from being knocked down when they get to school because of what you go through in high school of everyone telling you how great you are for so long. Well, you obviously were on the coaching side too. How did you handle the freshman wall, as you call it, from the opposite side? Like once you became a coach and weren't a player anymore. Yeah, I just tried to talk to a lot of guys about what I went through because I went through the freshman wall. And luckily, I had a great coach. Bill O'Brien was the head coach at Penn State. When I went through, you know, my freshman year at Penn State, man, like I started the first two games of the year, true freshman, first two games of my career, I started at tight end. And then, and then I was, I was not playing well. Like I was, I just didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't good. Normally freshmen aren't very good. You know, I always say that like freshmen normally aren't the best players or just learning out. I was terrible. Yeah, yeah, I was terrible. So I started and then I got benched. I didn't play for six games in a row. I remember my family coming to my games. Like I didn't get in for one snap. Like, like they were like traveling all my games. And then Bill O'Brien brought me into his office. We had a long talk. He told me about, you know, here's why you're not playing. He was great at building relationships and trust. And uh, and then after that conversation, I started to play better and then started the rest of the season. And that's when I became a freshman All-American. Uh, but there was there was five, four, five, six weeks in there. I didn't play at all. So I, I, everyone hits the freshman wall. And I tried to just, like, give advice and tell stories like that. I think, too, when you're, in re- when you're recruiting – I always had to remember to myself that remind myself that when you're recruiting these these high school student athletes like you have to coach them at some day pretty soon if they come to your school. So you can't be their best friend, you can't be their buddy. You can't be you can't be the guy that you can't be the coach that they're like, you know, calling just to uh, just to, you know, tell you how your day went and tell you about their girlfriend. Like that that's not you because you lose respect when they see you in that light. So I always, and it was harder being a, a younger coach because that's a lot of times where the relationship would go. You're recruiting a kid that's 18. I was 24. You know, you're pretty close in age. But I, you know, Herm Edwards used to always say, like, you're not their buddy. You can't be their friend. Like, you're their coach, and they need to view, view you in that light. So I would always try to, you know, be realistic and not promise things to kids and and tell them how great they are and tell them how much we want them. But at the same time, be like, you're gonna have to come here and earn it. And if you don't come here, we're gonna be okay. You know, we, we never tried to act like it was like uh, at, like. We never tried to oversell ourselves or oversell how great they were because when they get to your school, then it's going to affect their performance and how they view things and their expectations. So always try to be realistic and honest. And I think if you can be honest and you build good relationships and you know and, and recruits and people know that you care, same way in business and same way in everything else, I, I always say, this is something Coach Franklin used to say, you can be really demanding of people when they know that you care about them. And that was what we tried to do in recruiting, what we tried to do. That was my philosophy as a coach, and that's my philosophy now When uh, for all the people that, that work for me and work at Mercury and, and are on my content team, like try to show everyone that I care because I do and, or else I wouldn't, wouldn't be working with them. And, and uh, you can be demanding and have high expectations and, and be truthful with people as long as they know that, know that you care. And Coach Franklin used to always say, if they don't know that you care and you're really demanding – you just look like a, an a-hole, you know, like, like that's it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. Well, you talked about Mercury there a little bit. Why don't you go in? I think it's a perfect segue to talk more about what you're doing at Mercury. I know we have Porter Grieve, the, one of the co-founders there on the podcast, but I'd love to hear from your side because it's more of like you're more on the ground floor and what you're actually doing with athletes, colleges, and the whole what we call athlete-driven media. 
yeah, I mean, it, Mercury is is uh, we really really have taken off in the last few months as, as a sports media company. Really, the reason I joined Mercury uh, probably like six, seven, eight months ago was was Porter, who who you had on the podcast, as you mentioned, it was a great episode. So everyone should go listen to that. Uh, who's Porter is the CEO and co-founder of Mercury. Um, you know, really, when I heard his vision and what he was trying to build in the college media, college sports media, NIL space, it, it felt like a perfect fit for me and, and what I'm involved in and what I'm doing. And um, it's really been a great, uh, it's been great to work with him and, and, and help build this whole media conglomerate that we're trying, that, that we're trying to build at Mercury. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a sports media company. So we create really high end content with the top college athletes in the country. Um, you know, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, we, uh, Twitter, Facebook, every every place you can get content, we're there and we're blowing it up. Um, you know, we, we work with a bunch of different talent, uh, whether it's whether they're athletes or just on camera talent uh, that are either students in school, um, influencers, things like that. We have a, a pretty good roster now of talent we work with, and. You know, what makes us different than most sports media companies is we actually partner with universities and schools. So we we partner with schools like Oklahoma, Kansas, Kentucky, Villanova, Clemson, some of the top programs in the country, UCF, which has been a really fun one for us. Uh, we partner with the universities, create these fan platforms for the schools um, that, that we that, that we that the content uh, goes through that we uh, we create these fan experiences on that you can't get anywhere else, uh, and then through that do NIL deals with the players, and the players uh, get to be part of content, get to do interviews, get to do these different shows and things like that. That uh, is really unique, uh, benefits the school, uh, and then gets to be part of these experiences with fans. Um, so we're really changing the way that fans interact with their favorite schools and their favorite players through media, through content, through athlete driven media, where these players can control their own narrative and the experiences that you, that you haven't been able to get anywhere else. You know, for some examples, like, um, we, we have an NIL deal with the Clemson basketball team. So they're crushing it right now. I just was, I was just in Clemson, interviewed the starting five for some really cool content that fans have never seen them together before. Uh, we're doing a fan experience where you get to play, play horse with the starting five at Clemson. Um, so really some really, really cool stuff. Um, that, that we that we've been able to do and uh, will levis for example announced he was declaring for the nfl draft on our platform uh so really athletes are able to control their own narrative we're able to create all this cool content and build this sports media company um that has these pillars of it that make it different than every other sports media company out there um, and it's been really cool we're at the point now where schools are now coming to us you know we started and we were reaching out to the schools right it was hey can we want to we want to do this with you now schools are seeing what we're doing with our rock chalk platform which is our, our Kansas platform with our blue chips platform, which is Kentucky. And, um, and now they're wanting us to, to work with them. And it's been, it's been really cool, really rewarding. Obviously we're, we're venture back now and, um, been able to build out a really good team and just trying to continue to crush this media space and, and, and put the pieces together to keep, keep blowing it up. And as you know, man, it, it's all about eyeballs. And, you know, for us, we're just, we're just growing our own channels and growing this social media. And, and it, <clears throat> it gives us this really large distribution, um, to be able to, uh, to, you know, market, market everything that market fan experiences market um you know things that we sell like merchandise with the players we have a, we have a podcast for our oklahoma platform called the red dirt rambles podcast hosted by two players at the at, at oklahoma for that play for oklahoma that that has just been crushing it that a podcast fans love it they're having players on the team we got you know the, i was talking to the players last night you know we have nil deals with them 
Um, and they're like, they're like, man, like everyone on our team wants to come on our podcast. You know, they were, <laughs> they were showing me questions from the assistant coaches and the head coach, like asking to come on. So it's been really cool. We're dropping some merch, uh, a merch line with them for Oklahoma fans. So it's been really cool. We got a lot of things going on and just going to keep building and building. What's like one of the hardest things of building a media business? Cause obviously you're doing it yourself kind of, and then you've leveraged it into mercury. So you got it on two angles. You know, what are you seeing? Obviously a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this media is a huge angle now. Uh, if you could go into that a little bit, that'd be awesome. I, I think there's, there's the main challenge that that I've had and I've seen is just the cost of creating high end content. And, and I mean, you, 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 we've talked about this a bunch together. It's expensive, and it's expensive to 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 create content that's high end, especially with what we're doing at Mercury. Is like we have this this threshold now of how high end we want our stuff to be and, and fans to know that when they come to us, they're getting the highest possible quality of content. Um, and just consistently being able to do that. It's expensive to travel and do podcasts. It's expensive to, to shoot, to edit. It's expensive to do NIL deals, you know, but for us, we've built this, you know, obviously have a business model that makes sense for us. And it makes sense from a, from a financial standpoint, it makes sense from a distribution and an eyeball standpoint. Um, but that, that's the biggest challenge and, and building my own personal brand, which is, you know, goes hand in hand with Mercury. You know, we, when Mercury grows, I grow and I grow, Mercury grows and it's all kind of, we all kind of, everything's kind of intertwined now. Um, but when, when growing my own, you know, when I got started, I mean, I, I was losing money for a long time. I mean, when, when I, when I was creating content to start my first three, four months, I mean, we, we talked, I remember talking to you about it. Like, how do you, how do you monetize this? And now luckily I'm at the point where it's completely the other way around and, and I figured out how to cut costs and how to make money and all this kind of stuff but to get started it's expensive and to do especially to do high-end high-quality content um i think that's the biggest and and now too i'll say with so many people being in the content game and so many people building their personal brand and doing the gary v model i think for me the differentiator has always been how high quality the content is and to keep that up with the consistency of it is uh is difficult and i'll, and I'll be honest like from my content standpoint and with mercury if it was just me, like it would be terrible. I mean, I, I, I have a team that works on my content that just makes sure we're posting, make sure, you know, I can be as, I can be MIA for four days and we're still get 12 videos out during that time, you know? So it's, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's really, I have a system now that I built that makes it easy, but for anyone that's aspiring to create content, um, you just got to start doing it. And, and figuring out as it goes, I think so many people get that like paralysis analysis, like, oh, am I, what am I going to make money on it? You know, how to, well, th this video is not high quality enough. What am I going to talk about? You just got to start posting and let the algorithm dictate, you know, how good it is, how bad it is. And, and, uh, everything else takes, takes care of itself. Yeah. You got to be willing to take a loss. That's definitely the beginning because you get, and you have your hopes high, you're motivated. And then you're like, shoot, what's going on? When do sponsors come in? When do opportunities come? And then all of a sudden it just all hits you at once. Like it's crazy. We both seen it and it's, and it's awesome. And I've enjoyed growing together with you on that front, but Dude, go ahead. No, I think too, like social media can be discouraging at times. You know, we, we've seen it a ton I, at Mercury with my stuff. You know, at times you put in all this effort for one video and you're like, oh, this video is going to crush. Like, I know this is going to be, this is going to be great. And you post it and it doesn't do that well. I think for me, it's just the consistency of like, you know, just putting stuff out and letting the algorithm dictate, dictate whether it does well or not. And sometimes you can do the self-reflection of, okay, I post a video, it got a thousand views. I'm like, why, why did this video not do well? And a lot of times I can look back on it and say, 
okay, like in, in, in hindsight, I can see why this video didn't do well. Oh, the, the hook is not good. It's not that engaging. The story, I told the story poorly. You know, we, we didn't edit this the right way. And a lot of times the videos that take off and get half a million views every night are the ones that I can go back and be like, okay, I, I, can, I can see why that video did well. It makes sense to me now. And then there's others where it doesn't make sense. But I think a lot of times it's just not, not being too harsh on yourself and just continuing to post and not getting too up and down based on how videos do. But it is tough because you put a lot of effort into certain things. And that's why I kind of have the high clip and the high quantity, same, same way we do with, with Mercury. But trying to balance the quality with the quantity is what, what gets tough. Yeah, no, it is. It's fasting. So I was reviewing 2022 uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I found out that two of my best like newsletter posts were a week I was away on a trip, and I put the least amount of effort into those two. And it's just like you just never know. It's it's wild. I, I do like your point of like high quality, high quantity, and then you can reverse engineer it to be like, okay, these formats work. You know here's format posts like for me on twitter like i i now have like a format that i use so it makes it easier and easier but you got to post a lot at the beginning obviously you've interviewed a bunch of pro athletes you're now doing with college athletes at mercury are you seeing like a a shift in how these guys and girls are approaching the business sides of their career without a doubt i we're seeing right now the 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 shift of it now being cool to be like the athlete entrepreneur the athlete investor even from a media standpoint the media personality slash you know slash investor slash entrepreneur uh which has been really cool and i i think it's it's uh you know there, there's some athletes that kind of revolutionize that space you know kevin durant's one of them who we talked about a lot and his whole uh you know all all of his his venture fund and everything <clears throat> but it and it's been neat because for so long, athletes have had this this dynamic of having so much cash flow when they're in their twenties, and then never having it again the rest of their career. And you're seeing so many uh, so many athletes um, now take equity in businesses instead of doing instead of cash up front or some combination of both. And uh, and I think it's going to serve them well in the long run. And it's something that just has the conversation going, and people learn a lot more. You know. You, you really learn the most from doing it. You know, I've done, I've done a, a handful, maybe like five, six, seven, um, you know, seed, pre-seed, venture, like venture investments, um, very early stage companies with like pretty small check sizes, like low five-figure check sizes. Um, and really for me, like, yeah, am I hoping I, you know, one of those sells and becomes the next Uber? You know, like for sure, I'm hoping we, we go public, there's an exit. But really, it's about learning how to do it. You know, like the first one I did was it's a company called Zeal. It's a uh, which is um, electric car charging company, and, and it's really done, doing really well. They just raised a Series B. Um, it was just the process of learning what a safe note is and learning how to okay, where do you, how do you oh I can't write a check I need to wire the money okay, like all, all that kind of stuff you learn so much through that process it just familiarizes you with with how to be an investor and how to how to do things like that and then now like as a as I do brand deals and things like that. I, a lot of it is is you know if, if if the if a company is early stage or doesn't have the cash to necessarily afford what I would normally charge, I I go into it with equity and 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 you know say hey like I'm, I need advisor shares or I need this this or that and a lot of times it works out and and you know at the end of the day there's no guarantee like you may you may never see any money from those investments from getting equity in these businesses but it's just having having. Um, 
having a like a, a, a card on the table, like having having your foot dipping your foot in the water, like having something on in at at stake and at play, I think is is cool and just exposes you to that part of the business. And now, as we've done, I mean, we've done a couple investments together, Andrew. Like like it, it cere- yeah, Cerebo we did together. Yeah, Cerebo and Playbook, which have been awesome. Cerebo, which obviously backed by Mark Cuban, which has been really fun, and I, I saw they're, they're expanding a ton right now. But for us, it's just it's just getting like just getting a, a, a part of the conversation, and then the deal flow increases too. I mean, like once I did a couple of them, now and and, and everyone knows I'm not writing two hundred thousand dollars checks. You know what I mean? It's just it's just the, the strategic investors that have the audiences that can that can write you know small check sizes, but that they want on the cap. T- table has been really exciting and and um you know we, we, it's been been fun and i think we'll keep doing more and more of it you know as as we uh, get more get more deal flow yeah we got more on the line but it is true the learning aspect of it because i remember when we were doing the first couple it's like sending each other books and like here's how you do this and you learn all that and it's crazy because if you reverse engineer everything i would say we've been doing this for 18 months let's just put a timestamp. if you go back to the beginning like for me it all started with a few twitter posts and then you had linkedin and then you had you know, all the other short form videos and then you had a newsletter and then you do angel investments and then you're doing brand and it's just like, you don't realize how much you've learned and done. And so athletes getting exposed to this at an earlier point is huge. But I guess kind of as we, I like to try to keep these around 30 minutes. I know me and you, we will in the future, but we'll have definitely longer ones. But what are some sports trends you expect to see, you know, developing over, over the next couple of years? Sports trends. Uh, I mean, we just talked about the main one. If you if you asked me before that question, I would say the the athlete owner, the athlete investor. I think we'll see, we'll continue to see the athletes um, getting involved with ownership of sports leagues and sports teams. Uh, we're seeing it a ton with like pickleball and things like that. For athletes, the barrier to entry on some of those will continue to go down and down and down. And 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 these leagues and teams will want athletes to be part of their cap table, to be part of their ownership group, um, which has been which has been cool. I mean, you know. I was talking to you like I, I've been trying to get involved in a pickleball team. Like I've been trying to trying to invest in one of them, and I can't get in them because all the athletes are trying to get in them. Uh, I mean, we we I have some in here. We'll we'll talk about it offline. But but uh, oh, you, uh, <laughs> you got something to tell me, huh? <laughs> um, but I yeah, know, these these teams and the stakes be going way up in valuation. But but we'll save that for for offline. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think that that's a that's a major trend. Um, you know, I think. From an NIL standpoint, um, I think that right now we're seeing kind of the, the peak of, of uh, you know, the money involved in NIL. And I do think at some point, as far as trends go, like the, 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 hot, the hotness of NIL is going to go down at some point. It has to. The market has to correct. Um, and I, I think we're going to see more brands getting involved. Um, you know, really in NIL, it's two different parts. There's like the brand part, which is like a brand actually trying to get ROI on their spend on it for a player. Then there's like the collective part, which is just straight raising money and just paying players. Uh, I think we're going to see um, some kind of market market correction in the NIL space and go back to more. We'll, we'll see the, the deals that players are getting more in line with what NFL players are getting in marketing deals and like, you know, which is less right now than what, what college players get. So I think there'll be a market correction there. Um, but yeah, I, it's going to be exciting. Like, I, I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time to be involved in sports media. Like, I, I don't think I, I think that the right now with the athlete-driven media, athletes—that's another trend. Athletes doing their own podcasts, doing their own shows. You know, that's something we're doing at Mercury, trying to get a podcast at each school we work with, with the players, and they all want to do it. Um, you know, is 
there's never been a, never been a more fun, hotter time to be part of sports media because of all the distribution channels, because of the athletes involved, because of the money flowing into the space, because of the sports books and gambling getting involved in this space. There's so much money and so much attention getting thrown into sports media right now that it's an exciting time, and, and I think we're going to keep seeing the the attention that that sports media receives continue to grow. One more thing before we finish up, because I'm just curious of something you said in there, but we talk about now success for an athlete before might have looked like you know winning championships but now you, you're bringing money into it you're bringing in investment you're bringing in philanthropy and charity you know what what is the in let's just say five years what does the success of an athlete actually start to look like and do you think that's changing now with all of this greater access and deal flow and abilities they have i mean it's a it's a great point and a great conversation to have like what what is success for an athlete I guess first of all, it goes back to like what what does the athlete want for themselves, right? Is it generational wealth? Is it is it um, you know is it to win a championship? It, it all comes back to that. I I think you have the ability now as an athlete if you're if you're a if you're a second contract guy in the NFL, um, you know maybe not first, but if you're a second contract guy in the NFL, you have the ability if you play your cards right to create generational wealth. You have the ability. You have deal flow that 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 other people don't have. You have access to, you know, you have social media ch- thing uh, opportunities that other other people don't have. And I really believe that in this current dynamic of the athlete investor and stuff, we're going to start seeing less and less stories of like the the quarterback that was the first overall pick that went broke in five years. Because I just think there's so many business opportunities now. Um, but it also highlights the importance of having a good team around you and having a good manager and a good agent that um, and having a good financial guy. A lot of these. A lot of these players, man, I mean, I talk to some guys that have financial advisors that are in, you know, making 6% on their money every year where that's great. But like, you can also be super, you can be more risky when you're, when you're 23, 24, 25 years old with $10 million cash in the bank. You know, you can make these investments and make the, put yourself in situations to, to build generational wealth. So um, I think there's, there's no reason anymore with all the, all the access, opportunities, social media, the ability, the ability to build your brand, the, uh, the, the knowledge that's out there for athletes to be going broke after their second contract or even a first one. I mean, even, a, even if you're an a NFL first contract guy, you know, you're making $10 million over four years. I mean, there's no reason that you should ever struggle for money if you play your cards right the rest of your life. Yeah, and in theory, you should be having NIL money, which teaches you and learn stuff to then get to the first contract. Great point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but anyway, AB, great conversation. Enjoyed having you on podcast. We'll continue to have you on. We have a bunch of developments and announcements coming from our side. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And let, let everybody know, you know where they can find your stuff. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, just follow me at, uh, at Adam Brenneman is, is uh, most of my usernames. And then you can find Mercury on, on YouTube at, at, at Mercury YouTube channel and all over, all over social media at Team Mercury. Love it. Appreciate it, brother.